all, if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, open up to Mark chapter 14 this morning. And if you need one, there should be Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. I invite you to grab one of those, and you're going to be going to page 1151. Uh, So in the first service this morning, uh, I guess I was preaching a little too hard and uh, kind of got a really thin voice and started to cough. So pray for me, because I want you to get the full throttle this morning, and I want to have to stop, you know, to, to cough a little bit. So it's that time of the year where things are just in the air. So... Uh, Mark chapter 14, and uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is how to resist the temptation to flee God's will. How to resist the temptation to flee God's will. And uh, here's where I'm going this morning. That way, in case you decide to check out, you know, in the next few minutes, at least you can walk away with this this morning. When it comes to how to resist the temptation to flee God's will, if we fail to be spiritually alert, we will fail spiritually. If we fail to be spiritually alert, we will fail spiritually. And so what we're going to do, we're going to read these verses this morning. In Mark chapter 14, you're going to see two different groups of people. You're going to see Jesus, and you're going to see his disciples. And they're both going about uh, trying to uh, attack this temptation to resist God's will different ways. And so we're going to see that this morning. And we're going to start by reading through Mark chapter 14, and we're going to go 32 through 52. And we're going to read all of that because I want you to see the unfolding of the story here. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and became very troubled and distressed. He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay alert. Going a little farther, he threw himself to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour would pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again and prayed the same thing. When he came again, he found them sleeping. They could not keep their eyes open, and they did not know what to tell him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough of that. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. Right away, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him came a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and experts in the law and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. When Judas arrived, he went up to Jesus immediately and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they took hold of him and arrested him. One of the bystanders drew his sword and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like you would an outlaw? Day after day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, yet you did not arrest me. But this has happened, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing only a linen cloth. They tried to arrest him, but he ran off naked, leaving his linen cloth behind. So how do we resist the the temptation to flee God's will? And so let's, let's take a look here at what we've got going on. Now, you may remember before we got to this point, 
Jesus had spent some time with his disciples, his closest followers, up in a room eating the Passover feast. And, and as he was eating around that table, he said to them, someone, one of you in this room, is going to deny me. You're going to betray me. And each person to the man in that room went around the room and said, surely it's not I. Surely not me, Lord. It's not me, is it? Not me. And then Peter uh, took Jesus aside later and said, look, Jesus, even if all these other guys, they deny you, I will not. Right? So every single person, and Peter even more so, not me, not me. Then they leave that, that dinner, and they're now, uh, Jesus takes them to this garden where he's going to pray because Jesus realizes as he's just finished telling them in that place that, hey, the, the time has come. I mean, he's been telling them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be handed over, they're going to kill him, and then he's going to raise from the dead. And he's saying, that time is now. It's coming. So he's going into this garden. He tells his disciples, you guys stay here, kind of at the opening of the garden. But then he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them into the garden with him. And as we go uh, into our verses, he says in verse 34 now, as he takes Peter, James, and John into the garden, he says to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. And then he tells them, stay here and stay alert. Remain here and stay alert. Now, now Jesus, obviously, the first thing he's telling them is, keep your eyes open, watch. Uh, Pay attention to what's going on so that you're not caught off guard. He's telling them to just physically watch. But there's more to stay alert that Jesus means. It's not just the physical alertness. It's a spiritual alertness. You see, he's telling them that the, the time is coming where every one of them has said, it's not going to be me who denies you. And now he says, stay here and remain alert. Be spiritually alert. You see, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, particularly after you get past the Gospels and the book of Acts, you get to what we call the letters of the epistles. And these are letters that some of these guys who follow Jesus, they later wrote to different churches. And we've got this one uh, that Peter wrote. Remember Peter, the one who said, Jesus, even if everyone else denies you, not me. Not, I'm not going to be the guy. He didn't get it this first time around when Jesus told him to, to stay there and be alone. But he got it later. And as he's writing to these, these different Christians all spread out, he says this to them in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour. There's a spiritual alertness here. So we're talking about how do you resist the temptation to flee God's will? You've got to remain spiritually alert. Because if you're not spiritually alert, you will fail spiritually. And that's the first thing that Jesus told them to stay here and remain alert. He goes on, so he goes to pray. And we've got this moment now in the garden where we see of Jesus, uh, one of the most human moments that we ever get to see. You see, and most of us, when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus being God, right? And, and rightly so, because Jesus is God. He's fully God. And, and a lot of times in our circles, and by that I mean our, our you know, people who share the similar teachings that we, we do and, and maybe our, our similar denominations and things like that, right? We, we tend to emphasize Jesus' Godness, right? For good reason, because along the way, people came up and they started denying Jesus as being God. And so what, what a lot of people have done over the years is they just emphasize Jesus as being God. And, that, and that's true. But in our attempt to emphasize that and hold and stand firm on that, we oftentimes forget that Jesus is also human. Just as human as he is God. He is fully God and he's fully human. All at the same time. 
I mean, so you read through the Gospels, right? Uh, these, these books that people wrote about Jesus' life, and you see Jesus doing things that humans do. He gets tired. He gets hungry, and he eats. He gets thirsty, and he drinks, he sleeps, right? These are things that humans do. And here in the garden, we've got one of the most human moments that Jesus has ever had. He's praying to God the Father, and he says, Abba, Daddy, dear Father. It's this intimate relationship that he has with his Father, and he's, he's talking to him, Abba, Father. And the first thing he acknowledges, all things are possible for you. See, Jesus is not struggling with God's power. He's not struggling with, with the fact that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. It's not an issue for Jesus. God, Father, I know you can do all things. All things are possible for you. But here's where he starts to struggle. And he's wrestling. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup. See, Jesus was very aware of what lie ahead for him. He was very aware of what was coming next. And he's wrestling with that. Now, I don't think when Jesus says, take this cup, I don't think he's talking about just his death. See, I don't think Jesus was, was scared to die. I think there's more to this cup that Jesus is talking about. And here's why I say this. I think Jesus is wrestling with the fact that when he goes into what's next, there's going to be a moment where the Son, Jesus, takes all of the wrath of the Father on himself. Something that he has never experienced before. Something that, that he, he is, as Jesus the Son, the, the second person of the Trinity, he and the Father have always existed in perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, perfect unity. There's never been any sin, never been any impurity in them. And now, for the first time, he's going to taste sin. And because God is a God who is, yes, he's loving, yes, he's gracious, and he's merciful, you know, all those things we like to talk about about God, but at the same time, God is just, which means when uh, there's sin, he has to judge it. He can't leave it unjudged. He's also uh, a God of wrath towards sin. He cannot leave uh, sin unjudged, and he must pour out his wrath for sin. All of those things exist in God perfectly all the time. It's not that when God has shown his grace and his mercy and his love that he's not just and he's not wrathful. He is. But all of these things that, that exist in God exist in perfect harmony. And for the first time, Jesus will experience sin and the weight of sin and the darkness of it and the wrath that God pours out on it. The Apostle Paul, one of uh, Jesus' followers later in life, uh, he says this uh, as he's writing to one of the churches. Speaking about Jesus, he says, God made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin. Jesus was perfect. He was pure. Never sinned ever in his life that he lived on this earth. Never. God made the one who was sinless, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That's the exchange that takes place where you've got the, the one who is innocent taking on the sin of those who are guilty. And he tells on, he says, the reason he did that, the reason that Jesus, that God made Jesus sin for us is so that we would become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus knew what he was stepping into. He knew long before he ever came, and we're going to see this more in a minute, that this was his mission. He knew this was part of it. But now as he gets up to that moment, and it's the next thing really about to unfold, he's now wrestling with this, the very human side. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. But take this cup. 
if there's any other way for your plan to be accomplished besides me having to take on this wrath for sin, let, let's do that. Take it from me. But he comes back to that and says, but, but not what I will, what you will. You want to know how to resist the temptation to flee God's will? The first thing, uh, besides being spiritually alert, you've got to understand that when you come to God, it's okay to express where you're at, what you struggle with. But you've got to come ultimately with, but God, I trust you. Regardless of where this goes, I want what you desire more than what I desire. See, it's okay to ask God, I don't want to go this route. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to experience this. Not if there's any other way. But ultimately, God, if this is what you have for me, you're still good. Jesus is wrestling with that, and he comes around and resolves to say, but whatever you will, God. He comes in verse 38, so now he's been praying, and he comes back to Peter, James, and John, who's left there. Remember, he said to them, remain here and stay alert. He comes home, and he, he, uh, he, he finds them sleeping. And he, he gets a little more specific now. And he says, stay awake and pray, and you will not fall into temptation. Okay, so when Jesus said the first time, remain here and stay away, he really did mean more than just with my eyes open. Right now, some, you're, maybe you're wondering, how can Jesus tell them, hey, stay awake, and that means, you know, keep your eyes open, but at the same time, he means spiritually awake, stay alert. How are you supposed to do that when, when, when most of the time we pray like this? Head bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, how can you expect them to stay awake and pray at the same time, right? It's because you and I are thinking about how we normally Right? Which is head bowed, eyes closed. But you know that's not necessarily the correct way to pray, right? It's not that that's the only way to pray. Right? So in that culture, it was more common for them to pray with their eyes open and their hands up. And out loud. See, you and I, a lot of times when we pray, bowed head, eyes closed in our head. Right? So, so here's what I want to say to you, and this particularly for you grown-ups, maybe you teenagers in here, you know, uh, so check back in with me if you're, if you're not uh, here yet. When it comes to praying, do what works for you. Take the posture that works for you. So if you're someone who, when you bow your head and you close your eyes, your temptation is, I'm just falling asleep all the time. Well, keep your eyes open, right? And, 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 and then if you're someone who, praying with your eyes open, you get distracted because of TV or your phone or whatever, close your eyes, Right? And, I mean, how many times has it happened to you, uh, and I, I'm guilty of this, where you're laying in bed and you're, you're going to sleep for the night, and before you do, you're going to spend some time praying, and you start praying, and then all of a sudden you realize it's like three or four hours later, and you just woke up, and, oh, I didn't finish my prayer. Yeah, me, okay. So, you know, and there's times for that, and that's appropriate, right, where it's good to fall asleep praying and fellowshipping with the Lord. But, man, if you can't pray and, and stay awake because you close your eyes, keep your eyes open. Right? And if you need to kneel on your knees, kneel on your knees. If you need to stand, stand. Do what works for you when it comes to praying. The key is, what does that posture represent from your heart? That's the key. Now, in this case, Jesus, when he went to pray, he threw himself down on the ground in desperation. But he would have been praying likely out loud. He comes now and he tells them, hey, stay awake. And more specifically, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, James, John, all of you said you're not going to deny me. All of you said, even if everyone else denies you, Peter, you said you weren't going to deny me. So take this time and pray that you don't fall into that temptation. 
But see, they don't understand what's coming. They're not fully aware of the weight of what lies ahead. And, and Jesus says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. See, inwardly, guys, inwardly, you say you want to stand firm with me. You say inwardly that your desire is not to deny me. That's a good desire. But your flesh is weak, your body, your mind. And so how many times have we tried to resist temptation and we do it all in our own strength? We do that a lot. Right? We try to resist the temptation, and we do it all in our own strength. See, we've got a good desire within us. We want to do things right. We want to do the right things. But when we actually set out to do it, we can't. See, the Apostle Paul, uh, he would later say, as he kind of started to experience what it, what it meant to be alive in Christ, in Romans chapter 7, in this letter he wrote to Rome, he would say, you know what, there's nothing that, that is good that is in me. Nothing in my flesh is good. And he goes on and he says, you know what, I, I find that, uh, the struggle is at work in me. I, I want to do the right things, but I can't do them. And, and the things I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And he's struggling and he's wrestling with that, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But as you were to read Romans chapter 7, it gets to the end of that and it's just this desperate cry. What a wretch I am. Who's going to save me? In Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say and talk about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that has come from live inside those who have trusted in Christ. How do you do the things that are right and don't do the things that are wrong when you struggle? The key is not your own strength. The key is the Spirit that lives inside of you when you've trusted in Christ. God gives you that Spirit, His Spirit, to empower and to enable you to do the things that you can't do on your own and to not do the things that you can't resist on your own. So Peter here, his spirit is willing, his inner person is willing. He wants to do the right thing, but his flesh is weak. So Jesus says, pray. Depend upon God to help you resist the temptation. Pray now that you don't fall into temptation later. Because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. See, we try to resist a lot of times in our own flesh. And so the way we do that, right, we build walls. We put barricades up. And that's good, right? So maybe you have a, have a problem with seeing certain things. And so you put up uh, guards on your, on your Internet, right? And those things are good, right? But in and of themselves, they're not the solution. If all you ever did because you struggle with looking at certain things is put guards up, you're not dealing with the problem. You're not dealing with the sin. If you're, if you're addicted to some kind of substance, whether that's alcohol or drugs or binge-watching on Netflix... Yeah, you went there, right? So that's it, right? If, if you replace your joy that you should have in Christ with the joy you get in watching the season, and I'm guilty of this, if all you do is just say, I'm not going to look at Netflix anymore, I'm, I'm going to put these guards up on my computer, I'm going to avoid the bars, I'm going to avoid the alcohol, what? if all you do is modify your behavior, you're not dealing with the sin. Because you know, like I know, I can deal with an addiction in one area, but if I don't deal with the sin, which is in the heart, I'm just going to get addicted somewhere else, right? I'm just, it's going to manifest itself in some other place because I haven't dealt with the sin. Behavior modification is not dealing with sin. There are people who will praise that. There are people who will say, this is how you deal with temptation. Are you addicted to pornography? Are you addicted to, to something like this? You need to get another addiction that's healthier. So go work out a lot. You know, you, you struggle with this, get all that energy out. That's what I was told growing up. Just go work out more. Get all that energy out. But guess what? Then you become addicted to something else. 
The problem's not dealt with. The sin is not cut from your heart. Behavior modification is not in and of itself dealing with sin. You've got to deal with the heart. You've got to confess that to the Lord, and you've got to pray, Lord, take that from me. Help me to resist the temptation. And for some of you, he will take the temptation away, and for others of you, he will not. And regardless of what he decides to do, he's still good. Because if he decides to leave the temptation there for you to struggle with your whole life, that's an opportunity for you to remain dependent upon his spirit. And if he decides to take it away from you, praise God, that's an opportunity for you to give him glory for what he's done. But whatever he does, he's good. And the key is, are you prayerfully dependent upon the spirit that he causes to live inside of you that he gives you to resist? Peter, James, John, pray that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes back and Jesus prays. He comes back the third time. He sees that they're sleeping again. They just, I mean, on the one hand, you don't want to fault these guys. They just ate a big meal. It's late at night. Tryptophan kicks in, you know what I mean? They had lamb, but it was, you know, you get the point. But he comes and he says, you still sleeping? Are you still resting? Enough. That's it. The hour has come. In other words, it's too late now. We're here. The time has come. You want to resist the temptation to flee God's will? You've got to prepare beforehand. You can't, you can't come to a moment where you're tempted, not having prepared, and expect to resist that temptation. It doesn't work like that, right? I mean, that's true in most of the areas of life, right? So take working out, for instance, right? If I'm set to work out tomorrow morning, and let's say tomorrow morning is leg day or cardio day, right? Or pick whatever you hate the most, right? And it's cold. It's 19 degrees outside. And let's say there's going to be snow on the ground, and my bed is warm, and those kids, they just woke me up too many times last night. If I haven't decided the night before that I'm going to get out of bed regardless, and what workout am I going to do, chances are if I wait to flip that coin in the morning at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever, I'm going to hit snooze multiple times, and before you know it, it's going to be time to get up and go on with my day. And all I'm going to be doing is saying, this bed is so warm. Those kids woke me up. There's a little bit of pitter-patter of rain. It would be nice, right? You've got to prepare beforehand. That's how I am. I need to know what am I doing tomorrow morning. You cannot expect to resist the temptation to flee God's will. And now when I say flee God's will, by the way, I'm not talking just big picture like what does God want me to do with my life. I'm talking about your everyday life. It is God's will for you to resist temptation. It is God's will for you not to uh, willingly sin. It is God's will for you to live in a way that falls in line with His character and is empowered by the Spirit. Day-to-day living. How do you resist the temptation? You've got to be prepared beforehand. Jesus comes and says, look guys, time's now. He's late. He goes on. Look, this other man, he's betrayed into the hands of sinners. 49. So now this crowd comes, right? And Judas comes up and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, by the way, that's a passionate kiss that he gives. And and I'm not talking like passionate, like what just went through your mind. See, if you come up to me and you kiss me passionately, I might deck you, right? Unless you're my wife, right? And she just can't control herself, right? And she's not here to defend herself. That was not fair. All right. In that culture, it was completely appropriate to come and kiss someone, usually on the cheek, right? A holy kiss, and and to do so with affection. And that's how Judas comes. He comes, and he affectionately kisses Jesus. And he says, hey, Rabbi, and that's how everybody knows it's him. So Jesus responds, and he says, look, to this crowd with soldiers and all these religious leaders, I was among you day after day, he says. I, I was teaching 
publicly in the temple courts, right? And we saw that. Jesus was teaching very publicly. He wasn't hiding what he was saying. He wasn't undermining people, uh, you know, secretly. He was publicly teaching. They heard. They knew what he was teaching. He's not some zealot who's causing riots. He's not trying to, to overthrow the government here. He says, look, I was doing this among you publicly. And he says, you didn't arrest me. Well, look at this next part. This has happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Jesus knows this is why he came. This has been long planned out, long before anyone was ever created. Take a look at this. Uh, one of the uh, guys in the Old Testament named Isaiah, who was a prophet, spoke for God. He says this, he records this. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah about Jesus who would later come. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus. It was God's will that Jesus would come and suffer the way he did. That was planned out long before anyone in this room was ever thought of, long before God created the world. It was God's plan. Peter got it later. He didn't get it this time, but he got it later in the book of Acts. He, he's just been set free from prison, and, and he's praying, and they pray this way. He says, For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, two guys that were involved in the death of Jesus, uh, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, so that's pretty much the entire group that's going to put Jesus to death, right? They assembled together in this city, that's Jerusalem, against your holy servant Jesus. Look at this. When you anointed. To do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. It was God's plan for Jesus to come and suffer for sinners like you and like me. And he planned that long before the creation of the world. And for some of you this morning, this is all you need to hear. Because you struggle with God knowing, if God knew what I did last night, if God knew the decisions I've made in my life, if God just knew who I was and the hate that I had in my heart, God knew long before you ever thought of that this was going to be his plan. To let Jesus, who was innocent, suffer for people who were guilty. He knew the type of people that he would be purchasing. He knew the hate in their heart. He knew the, the blasphemy that would come from their lips. He knew the decisions that they would make. And yet, long before creation, he had planned this. He knew you. Long before you ever did anything you ever did. And yet, he still decided to go forward with the plan. You want to resist the temptation to flee God's will? Once you've prayed and you've prepared yourself spiritually and you're alert, now you walk in it. You move toward God's will, trusting that He is in control. Jesus knew this is what's been planned. This is what is next. Look at this. Paul, again, the apostle, writing for a church, he says this about people who have been saved by God. He says, We are His workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so that we may do it. So is it God's will for you to resist temptation? Yes. Yes, because that's a good work that God has prepared for you. Is it God's will for you to live your life in such a way where you are living in line with who God is and what He's revealed? Yes. You don't have to ask those questions every time. It is God's will for you to live in a way that is in line with His character because He's prepared that for you beforehand. The key is now He's enabled you to do that by giving you his spirit that you didn't have before you trusted in Christ. You pray. You prepare yourself spiritually. Lord, help me to resist this temptation. And then when it comes, you boldly and confidently in the spirit, not confident in yourself, 
you move toward it, and you walk in God's will, and you trust Him, because He's already planned out for you to do these things. So we come to the end of here, and you see that Jesus gets arrested, and all of His disciples flee. And then there's this, you know, verse 51 and 52, kind of a weird little snippet there, where this young man, we don't know who he was, he's following Jesus at a distance, right? And we kind of read that and we're like, there's a faithful one. He's going to call him the Calvary, right? No. He gets caught, he gets captured, and he slips out of his clothes, and he runs off naked. So desperate to get away and not to be joined with Jesus in his suffering that he's willing to run away naked. In the end, every person who had surrounded Jesus fled. They were not able to resist the will or the temptation to flee God's will. Two people, Jesus, the disciples. Jesus prepares himself spiritually. He wrestles, and then he walks in it. If you want to resist the temptation to flee God's will, you've got to remain spiritually alert. You've got to be aware of what's going on around you. You've got to know what your temptations are. You've got to know what's going to trip you up. Because remember what Peter said in his letter, your enemy is like a prowling lion. He's ready to devour you. In the end, all the disciples, everyone who was close to Jesus, they could not resist the will or the temptation of free God's will. What is your temptation? What is it this morning that comes to mind when you think about uh, struggling with resisting temptation? What, what are, you, are you tempted to be unfaithful in your marriage? Are you tempted to give up on your marriage? Are you tempted to, to be a selfish person and just kind of do everything you want to do, even if it means running over someone else? Are you tempted to go home from here and lash out at your husband, your wife, or your kids for whatever reason? Are you tempted to cheat someone? What is the temptation? Are you tempted to look at things? Are you tempted to find satisfaction and joy in something that is other than Christ himself? Because if you find joy and satisfaction in anything other than Christ himself, you're committing idolatry. What is it that you're tempted to do? Are you awake? Are you aware of your temptation? Are you spiritually alert? Are you praying to God, help me to resist this temptation? Are you praying that the Spirit would enable and empower you that when the temptation comes, you would be able to resist and to continue to resist? Are you alert? If we fail to be spiritually alert, we will fail spiritually. So, Father, um, we need your Spirit to quicken our hearts to waken us up because it's all too easy for us to be lulled to sleep because we get comfortable because we think we've got it figured out how to walk in your will and how to live this life and yet each day is different and each temptation hits us in a different way God and we need you and your spirit to enable us and to empower us to do what we can't do on our own oh but God we try we try in our own strength to, to resist temptation help us when we do that convict us quickly that we would, we would depend on you instead of ourselves so that you would receive the glory and not us. Now, right now, I want you to just take a moment and think about what is that temptation this morning. Just pick one. Maybe you have many of them. That's okay. Pick one. Have you prayed to God about that? Have you confessed it? Have you, have you, have you asked God to enable you by His Spirit to, to resist it the next time it comes up? Have you... 
confide it in someone else you can trust to, to let them know, hey, I struggle with this. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Have you done those things? Have you remained spiritually alert? So God, right now, the, the temptations that we're calling to mind, would you enable us and empower us by your Spirit to resist when they come? And strengthen us so that we can continue to resist when they come and come and come. And, and God, would you receive the glory because of that? And God, for those here this morning, who what they needed to hear this morning was that you knew long before any of us were ever created that you were going to send Christ to suffer for sinners like us. Would you remind them of that this morning? You're not surprised by anything they've done, anything they've said, anything that's in their hearts. You knew the type of people that you were going to die for. Quicken them, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God has something with your name on it this morning. What is it? There is no one, no thing more satisfying, nothing that can give you more joy than Jesus. So go and be joyful in Him and live to the glory of God. Be in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.